Hello, I am Tracy Hitchings. My guest is Jerry Van Kooten, co-founder of DPRP, the Dutch Progressive Rock Page, and Kev Rowland, author of The Progressive Underground. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and a very good night to you wherever you are across the globe. I am transmitting from the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. You have tuned into Tracy's Prog World. Good evening out there to one and all. I hope this greeting finds you all out there ready for this is my first time, the first time I have ever had more than one guest on the show here on TPW. So we're going to Sweden and to New Zealand this evening. For me, it's this evening, but tonight for Kevin, pretty late. And for Jerry, it's kind of midday, just gone. You know, to bring together two of the finest critics at the top of their field with years behind them and many more in front, I'm, I'm very much hoping. Um, now, they've served us up, the public, in, in helping us to better define our own likes and dislikes by cataloguing years of musical intel, enriching our lives for the better. So let me first of all welcome... Over there in Sweden, zooming in, we have Jerry. Hi there, Jerry. How are you going? Hey, Trace. Good to be back. Uh, everything's fine here. That's great. Yeah. Good. And it's good to have you back for a second time as well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, much to talk about, I'm quite sure. And of course, we have there waiting. Also, we welcome back Kev for the umpteenth time. What have you to say for yourself, Kev? <laughs> yeah, umpteenth. I'm not quite sure how many that's good. yeah it's good to be back well this is the first time i've had uh, two at once you know or, so, or a threesome so we say. <laughs> we've been waiting for this threesome haven't we so uh and we finally got it and we're here with jerry and uh so all is good lots of intel i'm sure to come out but uh you know as the person holding this space i was thinking to myself earlier how can i best encourage you both to do all the talking and just let me put my feet up you know? <laughs> well you know you guys hold all the magic and um uh, and this is a marvellous opportunity. But let's start the ball rolling. Who has been the breakthrough band for you this last year? All right. Same question. I think that uh, the big thing for me is I've really, over the last year, I've been working with, with so many New Zealand bands that I hadn't previously come across. And I think I've been really, really fortunate. So Breakthrough bands for me are more of a case of I now know about them as opposed to this is the first thing they've ever done. So Written by Wolves are an amazingly wonderful melodic hard rock band. They won their they got given their YouTube Silver Award this week, which I think is for 10 million plays or something, you know, so they're doing okay. Um, outside in, I still think are one of the best breakthrough progressive rock bands to come out of New Zealand. I think Karma Train's a great album. Capital Theatre, I think of the bands that I've first come across this year, and I saw them again on Saturday um, playing live. Absolutely incredible. Their debut album's out in October, produced by Mike Klink, who did Guns N' Roses and Megadeth and things like that. So that's going to be quite some release when that comes out. Cafe Fist Fight, uh, a band I'm seeing again on Saturday, um, really great local Auckland band who need to get their act together to get an album out. They just released a few tracks. And I suppose the newest band really would be White Noise Mafia, who um, were only formed just over a year ago. And I saw them at their second ever gig. 
and I've seen them about half a dozen or so times since then. They're creating an awful lot of noise here in Auckland, um, and they're starting to get a lot of a lot of followers. And I could see them really breaking through because they have this commercial sound, and they're all about eighteen or nineteen years old, so they're stupidly young. So they they have lots of girls in the audience, which is different from most metal and rock bands. So you know, so that. Yeah, you know, most of the most of the bands I go and see are middle-aged guys with long hair and beards, you know, and um, they don't attract. <laughs> yes, sorry, Jerry, they don't attract the younger generation quite so much. But yeah, that for me, um, I am. A- so, if you had to pick one of them, if you had to pick one of the break as a breakthrough band, who would it be, or would is that just too difficult, too tough? Um, I think for true breakthrough. I think I'd probably go Capital Theatre at the moment, just because they're videos which anybody can see on youtube are just brilliant people was a great one the fire was released as a single this week that's a great single um forced to fight is an incredible video um which i highly recommend everybody see got really powerful message and all those are songs off the debut album which will be coming out in october um very exciting band, and they play everything live they you know adam's got a great voice so, yeah, for me, I think they're the most exciting band. And, and I'm really quite upset because I'm going home next weekend um, and next Saturday, the 14th, in Auckland, written by Wolves, are being supported by Capital Theatre. And I'm going, that is a gig made in heaven and I'm not going to be there. So, oh, I'm upset to hear but, that too. Oh, that's all right. I'll catch, them, <laughs> I'll catch them all again later in the year because we've got loads of gigs, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I've I've reviewed 30 gigs so far this year. I've got two more this weekend, you know, um, which is so, so different to most of the rest of the world. So I'm very lucky. Absolutely wonderful. So if I can put that question back to you, Jerry, again, who has been the breakthrough band for you in this last year? What uh, comes to I've mind? I've been making some notes uh, while Kev was talking. Uh, and included Capital Theatre there because I have to check <laughs> them out now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to start with two corrections on the previous show. Uh, I made some mistakes there. I mentioned Tumblewood, and then you corrected. Oh, was that Grimblewood or something? But I'm well. Uh, I was meant to say Tumbletown, which is uh, a Dutch band, a continuation of Seven Day Hunt, which was a continuation of Egden Heath, one of my favorite Dutch prog bands. And oh, uh, right. yes, I remember very well. I remember Egdon Heath. Yeah. They were around in the 90s. Yes. They were on... Were they on uh, SR? Two of the albums, yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, yep. For the radio show, I'm preparing a special on, on them. Uh, but uh, Tumbletown, they only release one album every so many years. But uh, one of the guys who is also in Silhouette uh, now has a new band called Chain Reactor. That is a very good album. Reactor with a K. Um that was one of the uh, surprises for me of the past year. Um, a Swedish band I've been following for, well, might be a year, might be a little over a year, is Kadavra, uh, progressive psychedelic, and a very new band, Nefila. They just released their debut album. I reviewed it, and that was also, for me, a breakthrough. Um, I don't keep very good track of when an album was exactly released if it was their debut album but for me it was a breakthrough band because i learned about them uh, the last year so probably nephila or chain reactor uh, that come to mind for that yes and if you had to pick one do you know what that would be if you had to pick one um 
I was kind of expecting a bit from Chain Reactor, so Nephila was a bigger surprise. All right, yeah, so that's your breakthrough there. Kev, what was you going to say, darling? Please come back in. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I remember Silhouette when they came out, and I'm trying to think where Silhouette came from, because they came from another band themselves, didn't they? And the first album, was it Both Sides of the Street? Is that right? No, I'm think, or am I thinking someone else? I'm going to have to look them up now. So this is the joy of the internet. We can just go off and have a look. But I remember Silhouette. Which, but the band, Nephila, that's new to me. How do you spell that, N-E-P-H-I-L-A. Very right, young I'm Swedish band. I'm going to have to look band. them up. Uh, but, There's been an awful lot of good music out of Sweden over the years. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was yeah. looking forward when uh, moving here. Okay. Uh, uh, moving to Sweden. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I was thinking of another band. No, I thought The World Is Flat and Other Alternative Facts was a brilliant album by Silhouette. Yeah. And that was, a, that, I thought that, I've gave, I actually gave that a five-star review, which is rare for me. Um, which, yeah, no, I thought coincidentally, that was Coincidentally, the uh, singer-guitarist is a childhood friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, there you go. Small world, eh? There you go, small world, hey. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, um, another question that Kev's actually brought up, which I think is so interesting that I'd love to hear the answer to myself. How did the Twelfth Night Yahoo group come about? Ooh, that's a long time ago. I don't even remember. That's where I first, that's where I first knew you from. So that's why I asked the question. Uh, I'm not sure if I started it or not. Well, that must have been the 90s, I thought, right? I thought you did. Well, well probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you ran it anyway. Yeah, I, I must yeah. have started it, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there, was, there was not a lot of information on, on, on them. Wonderful. And, uh, they were not active uh, at the time. And I was just, uh, well, what do you do with, with bands you really like? You, you want to spread the message. So you find a way to spread the message. And uh, you want to know about from people who know bands that sound like them so maybe you can discover some more things you like that that's always been the uh the reason behind well this all this we do find more music we like and also something else that uh, kev has put forward so we've talked about the breakthrough uh bands in the last year that you've both just given your answers to but what excites you the most about this current crop that you're listening to what's exciting about it if i can put that to you first jerry um i find myself listening to more uh heavier music for the past couple of years and especially the last year as well um and also more psychedelic music and that is both the uh, modern psychedelic, so that it, it's almost post-rock, post-metal, but also the that Nephila I just mentioned, uh, they play, uh, well, they're heavily influenced by by old hard rock, early 1970s hard rock and, and a lot of psychedelic influences. There's also the rather heavy psychedelic blues, as I call it. That That's... Uh, well, my, my taste has shifted towards that, I think. I'm not sure if that is from the past year, but yeah, it has continued. Yes, indeed. Um, Kev? I, I think it's quite similar, actually. Yeah, it, It's quite interesting because Jerry and I have had lots, of, obviously lots of conversations on Messenger and that over the years. But um, I, I think likewise, my tastes have actually got broader um, as I've got older. Um, so I listen to... A lot of folk these days. Um, I still listen to jazz, um, and I go through the whole gamut 
of then all types of rock. I'm always going to be best known for progressive rock, same as Jerry is. Um, but um, I listened to very extreme metal all the way through to industrial. And I think, I think for me, some of the most exciting stuff has been happening at the really, really at the boundary of music, whether some what's being performed could even be called music. So I listen quite a lot to a band called Grid Failure. Um, it's a solo. It's often a solo project. There's a guy called Dave Brenner out of New York. Um, so she sometimes performs solo, sometimes with other musicians, sometimes Grid Failure is a band, sometimes Grid Failure is just, just him. And basically he's throwing vocals and everything through compressors he's using um, since I, I, when I listen to it, it's like a black and white dystopian nightmare in my mind. It's, it's one of those where you had a hundred people in the room, 99 and a half of them would run out screaming. Yeah, and the other half a person would be there going, uh, I don't know what this is like. To me, it was, I, took me a long time to get into Can. Um, took me a long time to get into Art Zoid. You know, these these types of bands, Rio and all this sort of thing. And to me, this is like a logical progression, but really taken to extremes. And now I've found that I'm getting into bands that he likes to work with, like Megalophobe and, and things like this. So it's it's interesting to me because... There's an awful lot of people in the progressive scene who would never call that progressive music. But actually, it is progressive because it's pushing boundaries. It's trying to do things that haven't been done before. It's quite often there isn't any sort of discernible time signature because it's going all over the place. And it's really pushing boundaries of music. And so years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, I would have gone, that's awful. Um but it's like when I was younger, I could not understand black metal. I could not understand death metal. I didn't see the point of thrash. Um, whereas probably these days, out of the, I probably listen to more black metal than I do normal heavy metal. I find a lot of the normal genres boring now, if you like. I'd much rather listen to some really good death metal or um, black metal or folk metal or pagan folk metal or technical death metal or, you know, because every, every genre has a subgenre and every subgenre has a subgenre these days. So music has just exploded. Well, what, what, what can you add to that, Jerry, hearing what uh, Kevin just well, said yourself? Uh, first of all, thinking uh, it, it, it's apparent that, that some people use uh, the same label, progressive music, progressive rock, prog rock, whatever, uh, with a different definition. So... It's just a label. It's just a way to talk about things and not to categorize stuff, of course. Um, but uh, while Kev was explaining how his uh, taste has shifted, I thought maybe what what is it that taste? Uh, what is it? And and when I was thinking about what what changed, uh, what has changed for me, is uh, maybe it's the thing that makes us tick or, or what, what, what we really want to feel. And maybe that is shifting a bit here now. And uh, for the past couple of years, like I said, I was listening to more and more heavy music. When I'm in the audience and I'm uh, really thinking about a, a, a gig by a band called Tundra, uh, Spanish post-metal, and yeah. then I realized, uh, well, not just realized, but I found the words to express uh, what I realized, that I love it when I'm being overwhelmed by the music. And that happens sooner with heavy music than 
softer music. And uh, I used to be uh, um, overwhelmed by surprises, which happens often in progressive music, like uh, changing time signatures or, or soloing. And now maybe that part has shifted a bit. And now when I had my blues period, I was really moved by uh, a good guitar solo, but also soloing where something was unexpected. And that happens often with jamming instead of playing a song, of course. Uh, so maybe, maybe that that's the bit that is shifting, the, the thing we're looking for in in sounds and music. I, th I think the other thing as well, though, um, and I agree with everything you've just said, but I think something else as well is when you get older, um, we feel, at least I feel, I won't say inclined to stick in a certain thing, but I remember when I was young, if you, you know, I wore the, I had a denim jacket and I had badges all over it, patches and everything else like you do. And it was, it, it was seen really that, oh, if you listen to heavy rock, you listen to heavy rock. You don't listen to, or heavy metal, you don't listen to jazz you don't do this yet so i was always a bit different because i always did a little bit anyway but now these days i've just gone as long as it's performed by a musician and not by a machine um and i will never understand rap or soul or hip-hop or so i don't even pretend to um but you know if i can go and see someone play um then i will um i will give it a fair crack you know and that for me is i think that's a change from where i used to be um I, I write for um, a New Zealand website and um, I'm the default person. So basically, Lisa will come to me if there's something new coming out and there's stuff coming out every day. And if she thinks it's something I'll like, she'll ask me if I want it first. Um, and you know, nine times out of 10, I'll say yes. But other times I'll she'll actually come to me and say, Kev, no one wants this. Will you try it? And I'll go, yeah, fine. You know, whatever. You can't get anybody to review it. I'll review it. It's fine. Um, but I can still do it as long as it's not, you know, even alternative rock and that sort of thing. And I, mean, I reviewed something yesterday that was a debut single by four young kids and, you know, it self-produced. They think it's the best thing in the world. It's not. <laughs> but you need to find a way of being able to say that in a constructive manner to encourage them to, to keep going and not destroy them. You know, so you've got to find that, balance but i can still do that because i can listen to music that i don't even like and pick up the same as jerry can because we've been doing it for so long you know how what's the song structure like is he in pitch is he you know what's the recording the production like all the things even if you don't really like that style of music you can do it but i certainly these days i'll listen to anything yeah, I'm off to review an 18-year-old singer-songwriter on yeah. Friday night. I, my daughters are all older than her. You know, <laughs> it's going to be very weird. Really are that bit of a musical prostitute there, Kev, aren't you, sir? And that's quite fine. That, that makes, It's all the more fun. Uh, Jerry did have a question to put to you, by the way, Kevin. Um, yep. He was wondering, Jerry was wondering how your taste in music has shifted over the years um, given, obviously, given uh, different situations, like the world's under COVID at the moment, he says, and has that, has that anything to do with um, the possible shifts or um, maybe it's because gigs are less and you've got time to, to discover more music? Is there a case in that at all? Um, my tastes have definitely shifted over the years. I mean, I started off, um, you know, the first, first band, the first band I really got into was Kiss. Okay, that was the first band I got into, and I had a Kiss logo right across the back of my denim jacket. 
All right. So 1978, someone lent me double platinum. I had no idea what they looked like. It was a, someone had taped the album, which was a greatest hits album that came out in 1978. And I just loved the songs. Then I saw what they looked like, which was quite a shock. <laughs> um, but that album's great. That, so it's a great introduction. Then from there, I immediately bought Alive um, and Alive 2. And then I picked up Studios. And I was a mad fan of Kiss. Um, but at the same time, I was listening. I got introduced to um, Jeff Brotal in particular and Genesis, got into Pink Floyd, you know, all the standard sort of bands that were around at the late 70s. Um, you know, I was 16 in 1979, so I dropped straight into the new wave of British heavy metal as well, bands like Def Leppard, Samsung, Angel Witch, Iron Maiden, you know, all, all this sort of thing. And um, so growing up, it was very much hard rock, progressive rock, 70s classic rock. You know, Pink Fairies, Atomic Rooster, you know, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, all, the, all this sort of thing, Ted Nugent. Um, and then we just, I just, over the years, as I've become more and more exposed to music, I guess, I mean, I yeah. am fortunate or unfortunate, I get sent an awful lot of material. Yes. Um, Jerry and I have discussed backlogs in the past and mine is bigger than his because I'm more stupid than he is. Um, so, and he has a team and it's me. So, but basically, um, I, so I get sent stuff I wouldn't necessarily go and buy. Um, but then what's happened over here in the last year, things have exploded for me for almost the reverse of the situation Jerry's talking about and the fact that we've been having live gigs since about, regular live gigs since about October last year. September, October last year. Only place in the world. And I'm a prolific writer, and I've been asked to do more and more by this New Zealand website. And I'm I'm now hearing more of the local scene. Um, but I think it's part, for me, it's part of growing up. I mean, the first records I ever heard in my in my house when I was a tiny kid was jazz. Yeah, my dad's classic jazz records. Yeah. When I was doing my when I was doing my books, I stopped listening to new material for um, two years when I was doing the books two and a half years, and I actually threw myself into pre-war jazz and acoustic blues um, as just something totally different to listen to. I didn't have to write about it. It was just music for music's sake, and I loved it. Um, you know, anybody who's into the blues, take it from me. If you've never invested time in the Blind Lemon Jefferson, Blind Blake, and all those people from the 20s and 30s, then you don't know what you're missing out on. Um, and... Yeah, it's, for me, I think I'm very lucky. I like lots of music, which is also bad. Um, but, yeah, certainly my tastes have exploded, but a lot of that's due to exposure. Um, I hate to think how many CDs Jerry's got in his house or how big his music drive is, but it's probably best not to ask. I was talking with, I was talking with Olaf just before this, and he was telling me he's got three terabytes on his hard drives at the moment. Um, my hard drive crashed before Christmas and I lost half a terabyte. So never mind. Eh? It's so, only so, Kev, what question? If you was on a phone call with Jerry and I wasn't here, there was yeah. a third party, what question comes to your mind that you would like to ask Jerry? I'm just really interested to, to know how Jerry started. You know, we all started doing this in different ways. And I'm just intrigued to know what Jerry's, I know what Jerry's doing now. Um, and like anybody who's into progressive rock, DPRP is a go-to site. It has been. I was honoured. Jerry asked me years ago if I would write for the site, and I felt incredibly honoured. I said no, but you know, to be just be asked was, was huge for me. 
Um, but I love what he does with DPRP. It's a site that I use a lot. Um, but I want to know about the beginnings. What's happening in the early 90s? How did, how did he get involved? How did he start writing? What was the fanzine scene like in Holland and all this sort of thing? Uh, well, first I have to say that uh, when I started uh, being interested in music, it was Kiss. <laughs> Kiss was my first band too. That was 1979. It was only nine. And at that time, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> their latest album was Dynasty. So that was not the best start. But... <laughs> um, Later on, for me, it was uh, the Canadian band Saga that, that really introduced me to progressive rock. And uh, that was 1981, I think. And starting from 1982 or three, it was the uh, all the British uh, rock bands and uh, not just Marillion uh, with uh, the script album. But, uh, IQ, Palace, Twelfth Night, there were the bigger names. Pendragon. I think Pendragon was the first, even before Marillion. Uh, but then when we got more information, it was... Uh, well, most of the smaller bands as well, so Trilogy, Gothic, Tamarisk, Chemical Alice, stuff like that, and they, they were that was a little bit after uh, they released most of that stuff. So it was a, uh, it's, it was like me and and my friends had a had a tough time finding out about all those bands, exploring, and uh, because we were a bit late to the party. There was so much to to discover, and and that was a great time. Oh, comedy errors, I have to mention as well. Uh, can't can't leave Joe out of this. No, no, no. <laughs> he has to be mentioned. There you go. He has Joe. to be mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, it it was that style of progressive rock for for quite a few years, and. Uh, uh, I started writing for Background Magazine in 94, so that's 27 years ago now. And uh, uh, pretty soon after, uh, Martijn, uh, Martijn Albring, he started, well, he was working on an arena uh, fan site. And he said, would you like to help? And at that time, my taste was already a bit shifting towards something heavier. So arena was not within my uh uh, favorite styles so I said well let's make it a more generic uh, website and that's how DPRP started all right because for some reason I had it in my head that you wrote for sim info that's all that's not the case then no no never wrote for that no because um, obviously Henri from background is now is now a website which is is amazing I actually remember buying or being able to get the the news when they came out we used to get a few in the UK you know, yeah. so I remember yeah. them, because they were larger than the A5 ones that we were all working on. It was it was a bigger style magazine. Yeah, that's where it started for me. Uh, I was invited by Stefan van der Ven, who ran uh, Background Magazine at that time. And uh, Henry, who was still running it, was already there. So that's where I met Henry as well. And uh, a couple of others I'm still in contact with. So that was, uh, yeah, it's nice. It was a, a great bunch of people. It's funny when you think about it, how many of us are still around from those days, because... Um, and still doing the same stuff. And still doing the same stuff. I mean, you look at Thierry Sportouche. Um, he was running Acid Dragon. I think he started that in about in the 80s. Yeah, um, I think so. And I, I, it's funny because I used to, I, I wrote back, I wrote for it back in the 90s when it was, um, and I used to deal with Francois because Francois Rouad and Thierry did it. Um, and then I sort of lost contact over the years like you did. And then, 
oh, I don't know how many years ago, Terry and I got in touch with each other again, and I'm writing for it again now. And apart from the fact it's got a color cover these days, it's exactly the same thing that it was coming out 30 years ago. It's an old-fashioned A5 magazine full of reviews and interviews and nothing clever inside. You know, there's a bit more pictures than there used to be, but to all intents and purposes, it's exactly the same thing. that, And I, I love it. I still love a physical magazine you know that's why i did the books it's actually so cool to have them in a book format as opposed to just just if you like on on a website somewhere um so that's pretty cool yeah yeah um i started um in a rather different way i was uh i used to collect jethro Tull, um and back in the 80s there was no way of um well, there was no internet. So I used to use Terry Hoonsome's Rock Record, which was the book that told you who had played on what album. And, um, you know, to me, that was like the Bible. And I've still got, I've got volume two and volume four. And volume two is battered. It's written all over. It's, you know, stars and everything. Things I had to check out. And I used it to discover bands that players, musicians were in before they were in Jethro Tull. And bands I went to after. And I found out about a band called Carmen. And I knew nothing about them apart from that John Glasscock had been in them immediately before Jethro Tull. And Carmen and Jethro Tull had toured together. And on the Two Alter Rock and Roll album, which is the first album that John Glasscock played on, his girlfriend, um, who was the lead singer with Carmen, actually sang backing vocals on it. So I knew there was a relationship there. But I couldn't find anything out about Carmen because, you know, you go to the library or something and you find out about Carmen and all it's got is the opera. So I wrote a letter to Record Collector. Does anybody know anything about Carmen? And they printed it. And at the time, I used to buy the A New Day fanzine, which Dave Reese had started, which now is the New Day Festival and all this. Um, so... Um, Dave wrote me a letter because it was letters back then um, and said, Kev, if you get any information, can you write a piece for a new day? And so I did. I wrote a page and a half um, on this band that no one really knew anything about that I'd managed to cobble together. Um, Actually, I think the information I managed to get together was was accurate, which was good. Um, But that got me into the bug. And then... In again in the late 80s, I joined Mensa. And the reason for joining Mensa was I was working in London, didn't know anybody. I thought it might be a way of meeting other people. Um, soon discovered I had nothing in common with people in Mensa uh, <laughs> at all. Um, but they had these little subgroups. And um, someone wanted to start a subgroup for people interested in rock music. And they needed 10 people to sign up. So I was one of the 10. And the editor then said, oh, we're going to bring out a newsletter. And I went, oh, I can write for that. So I originally started by writing in longhand, you know, literally writing. And she would type them up. And after five issues of this, she went, I can't do this anymore. Can't do it anymore. She was suffering um, with mental health and all this sort of thing. And she said, I need someone to take it over. And I went, how hard can it be? You know, so I went and bought myself an electronic typewriter with 1K of memory. Wow. This was 1990. 
right? So no PCs. And I started. Um, and I'd been doing it for, oh, excuse me. <coughs> I'd been doing it for about, about a year or so. And um, I went out with someone for a pint of beer one night and he, he brought some music for me. He brought me a collector's item, um, the Twelfth Night compilation. And he brought me the latest, Gal the new Galahad CD, their debut CD, Nothing Is Written, and some copies of Night Moves and some copies of Blind Sight, which was a Scottish fanzine. I don't know if you saw it in Scotland. They only did six issues, but for me, they were massively important. And um, I fell in love with both Twelfth Night and Galahad straight away. And I love the Nothing Is Written album so much that I wrote to Stu, sent him a letter and a check asking to buy <laughs> nothing is written and their previous tape a moment of madness and Stu wrote back to me um with the tape and the and the cd i can hear a dog in the background in his dreaming dreaming yeah yeah um and i um and I, um, yeah, I put in my letter to him that I wrote this little tiny magazine thing, you know, didn't even have a name back then, and that I would probably write things about the CD in it. And um, that was it. And I didn't think anything more of it. And then a couple of weeks later, um, I had a tape turn up from a band called Big Big Train, who I see, according to those newsletter, have hit into the top 40 album charts in the UK this week with their new album. Not bad, eh? Um, I had no idea who these people, who these guys were. There's no press release. There's, a, there's two photos. They didn't say who anybody was. Um, and a tape. And the tape was from the River to the Sea, the very first demo. And I'm going, they've sent me some music and I haven't paid for it. Um, where's it come from? And I went, oh, it must have come from Stu. And this is 91, I think. Uh, and I went, oh, oh they're, they're, from, they're from Dorset. Oh, Stu lives in Dorset. He must have told them. And then I looked at Blind... I remembered looking at... I picked up the copy of Blindsight, and I realized that on the back of Blindsight, there was all the addresses of all the bands. Yep. And I went, they've sent me this because I'm writing a little magazine. I wonder what happens if I write a letter to all these guys. And that's literally what I did. I sat and I wrote, typed out on my little typewriter a letter to all these guys saying, hey, I'm Kev Rowland, I'm doing this. Um, let me know if you'd like me to write anything about your music. And it went downhill from there, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> downhill, you say? Downhill, yeah, downhill. <laughs> it's been going downhill for 30 years. <laughs> Final Conflict were the first band ever to give me a T-shirt. They were also the first band ever to give me a CD. Um, and immediately the world exploded for me because there was... Um, all this music out there that I didn't know, you know, all these bands out there, this scene that I didn't know. And one thing I love about working in the New Zealand scene is it reminds me so much of what it was like in the early nineties. I'll go to a gig here and there will be, sometimes it will be big gigs. Sometimes there'll be 20, 30 people there. And you and I have both been to plenty of gigs that size. Yeah. And you find, you know, a lot of the people and you find there's other band members there who know you. And all this sort of thing. And that's exactly what it was like in the early 90s. And I sort of miss it because it was like a family. You would have the super fans. There was like a group. We would, you could always find us at the same progressive gigs no matter where they were. Because, I mean, the thing is, we only stayed in 
in London and the South, but I mean, you used to travel overseas a lot, didn't you? I mean, you, uh, you did a lot of trekking. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, was, I was thinking earlier, um, we, we both said that we love Kiss. Now, everybody who's listening to this knows who Kiss is. But how many people will know who Mastermind are? Now, <laughs> not surely. Enough, I would say. Oh, not enough, definitely. I, look, you know, you've known Bill longer than I have. So I, I think it'd be really useful if we just spent five or 10 minutes talking about Mastermind because that band are just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yep. I saw them twice, once in Holland uh, during one of the festivals, uh, the, the Paul festivals that Ari uh, did. I managed to meet up with them in, in London. Uh, I traveled to, to London several times, saw uh, many different people there and uh, visited uh, people from Landmark, including Tracy, uh, a couple of times. And uh, there was one week where Landmark had a gig and Mastermind were doing their European tour. So I was there. Oh. That was uh, nice. And, oh, by the way, that was a nice thing. Neil Durand, who was part of DPRP, guested on one of the tracks on the Mastermind gig. And oh. who now is, of course, the keyboard player for IQ. Yeah, well, the thing for, for me, I because I hadn't realized Neil wrote for DPRP. I always think of Neil as the keyboard player with Sphere. Sphere, yes. Yeah, he was in Sphere back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I've got, I've got both demo tapes, and I keep threatening to him that I'm going to digitize the first one, which was recorded in a garage. Um, he's not, I don't think he's got a copy of that anymore. Um, but, yeah, I'm, Neil was great. I actually saw Sphere play as well. Um, but I saw Mastermind in London when they were supported by... They were on a three-band bill with Ars Nova, who were a Japanese trio, I think, of young ladies, and they supported Grey Lady Down. And it always felt weird to me to see Grey Lady Down play after Mastermind because musically, I thought the Behrens brothers were ah oh, unreal, absolutely yep. unreal. I mean, Rich is one of the most amazing drummers I've ever seen. And Bill, at that time, the lineup, I saw the trio, he was playing keyboards and guitars at the same time. And he's an you know, incredible guitarist. So it was one of the first times I really saw a big pedal board. Um, but I was just in awe. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I've, al I've always felt that um, they were a band that should have been huge, uh, should have been absolutely massive. Um, have you heard any of his, any of the live stuff he's been doing in Brazil? Uh, yes, I saw a video uh, where they did the uh, uh, with the two Brazilian guys uh, doing the mastermind mm -hmm. stuff, and yes, that sounds really good. Again, yeah. um, the quality of the video was uh, was not too good. <laughs> been talking with Bill about that; he was not very happy with it. Yeah, but uh, well, there was nothing uh, to do about it. But uh, it gave a very good impression of, of, well, the music still stands, right? And uh, oh, if you play just, with, with good musicians, it's, it's great. Yeah, for, for anybody who doesn't know Mastermind, they've had various different lineups and, and combinations over the years um, yeah. with female singers, with a keyboard player, without, and this sort of thing. But the heart and soul have always been Bill Behrens and... Um, his brother Rich and bombastic symphonic progressive rock guitar based, um, absolutely insane musicians. Um, yep. and all their stuff's now available on Bandcamp. 
Um, and I don't think you can go wrong with with anything, to be honest. I, I would just start with the very first album and yeah. just work your way through. Chronologically, but, um, yep. Chronologically, because then you pick up the different styles, but they are a phenomenal band. And Bill is such a nice guy. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I've... I can't think of a single piece of work that he's done. I've, listened, I've got his solo album as well that he did prior to Mastermind on a cassette. Um, yeah. And it's all good. And every time he sends me something, you know, I say, okay, oh, listen to this. And you just kind of, this guy's phenomenal. Why is he not a massive name in the, in the music industry? Because it's... Yeah, but I, I think the same of, of, of his brother. Oh! What an awesome drummer he is. Wow. Oh, absolutely incredible. How, how is it possible that, that no one knows about him? Yeah, yeah, and you know, obviously, uh, Rich has given Bill his blessing to to do Mastermind in Brazil, but yeah. those guys should be household names, you know. They, and I mean, I'm not talking about household names on the level of top of what we'd call underground progressive bands like you know, Neil Morse or um, Nick Virgilio or people like this. I mean, they should be huge stars, you know. If they'd been doing this music in the '70s, everybody would know who they are, um, yeah. and the. And the music is consistently good and the musicianship is consistently excellent, you know, and it's just, and I think that's why I still do what I do. It's because I get frustrated by people who deserve um, recognition, not getting it. I mean, that's what drives me. What drives you to keep doing this after all these years? Uh, I was just about starting to nod. I agree completely. That is the one thing. Getting people to know the bands they should know about and, that is talking about new bands, but I feel the frustration if you have to write about uh, bands who have been uh, going around for many years and still not enough people know about them. So exactly the same reason. I, w- I was talking to someone the other day because um, I'd been sent a folk album to review for, for the site. And the, band, the name of the band was Grawlixes. G-R-A-W-L-I-X-E-S, right? Fine. And um, I put it on and 30 seconds in, I was just transfixed. You know, that was, oh my God, what is going on here? You know, and it was like that all the way through the album. And as soon as it finished, I put it on again. And I was actually, whilst I was listening to it, I thought, this is why I do it. Because every so often you come across something that, I would never have stood a chance in hell of hearing otherwise, you know, and because I haven't seen any write-ups about this band anywhere. So I'm going to see them twice in a couple of weeks. I'm going to drive down to Hamilton, which is a hundred Ks away to see them there with another of my favorite bands of support down there. And then I'm coming back up and watching them in Auckland the next night with another one of my favorite bands of support. Cause I'm going, you got to do it and I'm going to write about it. And I've been trying to get photographers to come with me and all this sort of thing. You got to go, you got to go, you got to listen to this. And all these years in, I still do it. And I still go to, you know, I go to grotty little dives. I put myself out and do lots of hours to, to write reviews and all this sort of thing, just to try and turn people on to this music that I'm privileged enough to hear. And all these years down the road, I'm still frustrated that, mainstream don't want to write about it you know they, they don't want to know about it they, they, they'll talk about the latest created piece of plastic crap that's in the charts you know i think i read somewhere that at one point the top 100 singles had been were 
in the charts that week were written by, most of them were written by six or seven people. And they were all produced wow. in the same studios. And you go, yeah. no wonder it all sounds a flaming same, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you listen to what we listen to. And but it's hard work. And I don't think people realize how many hours we put in and the fact that none of it's paid. <laughs> you, no, know, no, exactly. you know, we are lucky enough to have partners who allow us to do this. I mean, I mean, I've been with Sarah since 1989. So unfortunately, for she start, she came in just after I started the journey, and I've been through. Yeah, you know, I blew up a typewriter, then I've been through. I don't know how many computers, but yeah, you know, we were at one time. I was working night. I worked night for six years at the beginning, from 91 to 97. Only night shifts. Only not pure night shift. I ran night. I, wow. I, ran, I did night shifts for six years. Um, wow. And I had walked into a ready-made family and then we had two more of our own and I was doing the magazine. I don't know. And I was doing it every six to eight weeks, 80 to, well, actually we're pulling about 120 pages every six to eight weeks. I have no idea how I did it. I mean, <laughs> and raised a young family at the same time. You look at you, you know, quite similar circumstances in some ways. And you think how many hours you've put into DPRP over the years. I mean, it's, it's frightening really. Uh... I don't want to know, I think. <laughs> no, no, you, you never want to add it up. No, um, no, no. Well, I mean, I, when, I put the book, when I put the books together, um, which was just my progressive rock writings from uh, 91 to 2006, it was 515,000 words. Now, bearing in mind, I was writing about rock and everything else at the same time, so I went, I can probably double that. Well, there's a million. And then since 2006, I've never really stopped, so that's probably another million. I've written two million words on music. It's frightening, eh? Uh, or interesting, or wow, <laughs> or necessary, or yeah. Oh, and how many reviews does DPRP get through a year? Um, I've been uh, working on on the the script side, the service side uh, for for the past couple of years a lot. Uh, I've been writing reviews uh, along the way, but uh, I read that. Um, Andy, Andy Reid, who was doing the uh, uh, the editorial side, uh, said we had about five to six hundred reviews, albums reviewed in a year. I think is that could it be correct? That but probably sounds it's, about it's, right. Uh, we're already uh, into the one uh, hundredth uh, issue of reviews this year. So yeah, I've noticed they've been going the number yeah. of last year. Yeah, and I've been noticing the updates from Jan. But um, the thing that I've always liked about DPIP is the fact that you have this consistent um, way of reviewing. You know, mm -hmm. so there's a consistent uh, format, bang, 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 which for me makes it very easy to read. Um, and I've always really enjoyed it because there's, to me, it's it's different to how I write because because I'm a one man band. I tend to do I look for volume reviews. You know, 400 words, bang, go next one. You know, and it's turning it over and I just write what comes to mind. So sometimes it's 400, sometimes it's 1200, you know, it just happens and it's just a different way of writing. But I, I love the fact that it's so methodical and, you know, and you always know, you know, the frame is there's, there is, there's the details, there's the tracks, there's the bomb, 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 you know, all the information you need. And yeah, I think it's a massive resource. Talking of resources, I think you ought to tell us all about the archive project. 
because <laughs> that is some that is a phenomenal piece of work. So come on, tell everybody about the archive project. To be honest, there are a few archive projects. I think you mean the the archiving uh, newsletters, newsletters uh, and music. Yes, I'm really a bit of an archivist. I want to document archive things. Uh, I don't want things to get lost. Uh, you mentioned the Blindside uh, magazine. I've received the uh, the set of uh, scans from it, so I can upload them to archive.org. I need some replacement for those because some uh, the the uh, the page is not readable. So I need some some uh, replacement there. But uh, I want to have that all on on on, on archive.org so everyone can read it. And the the same applies to to music. Especially the music that uh, that is in well in danger of disappearing. So everything that was released on tape only, and I'd hate to 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 see stuff like that being deleted from 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 memory from whatever. It has to be archived. So well, a, a band that we've both been talking about recently in that is Frog, who I thought were a stunning band. And I know you've been working on that. So what's what's been happening with the Frog music? Um, I received one tape and thought, oh, maybe I can make this sound a little bit better. Uh, well, just as good as possible. And uh, then I got into contact with one of the people who told me that all the master tapes had been stolen from his car uh, in the 90s or some, some years later. And uh, he was interested in, in what I was doing. And I sent it to him and he was impressed and and and. Uh, he said, oh, I'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to what you're doing with the other tapes. So when I sent him uh, all the results, he said, okay, we think this is good enough to call it a remaster and release it on all the uh, streaming platforms. So everything you find on Frog on, on Spotify, uh, that's what I did with the with the tapes. And I think the, the quality is pretty good, considering they were digitized from 1990s tapes. I'm pretty and happy with that. Yeah, and they were a great band. Um, and I think, like you say, there's so much great music that was only ever released on cassette. I, um, I remember thinking that Lower Mel were going to be a huge band, and they, they only ever did the Emmanuel tape, which was a great tape. And Blindside did one CD on SI, but actually, I remember, you know, I preferred the tape, which came out before. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, Red Rivers Meet or something. Uh, it's probably wrong um but there was so much music that just came out on cassette and obviously yep. it's important that it doesn't die because once yep. those tapes crumble or disappear um i had some tapes which was called it was matt cohen's band prior to prior to magenta and prior to the reasoning it was no can't remember but there was two tapes released and I was talking to him one day, and he didn't have either of them. So, um, so I sent them to him. After I recorded, the, after I digitized them on MP3, I'm sorry, Jerry. Um, but I then, didn't do that. <laughs> and then he said, he said, oh, he said, I've got the tapes, it's great, but I can't play them. So I then sent him the audio file. But it's, you know, he didn't have it. And you think, well, that's terrible. I, um, Mark Colton is a great friend of mine, and... He had all his stuff from Casual Affair and Free Will and that in a storage locker and it got flooded and he lost everything. Fortunately, he'd given me some stuff 
earlier digitally some gigs and that sort of thing and i still had the free will one tape and i still had copies of all the newsletters because i wrote the fr- i wrote the free will newsletters so i had those and when i went back to the uk some years ago i actually took with me a folder and it had all the photos every letter he'd written to me back in the day um contracts for playing at the standard and wow everything i could give him um just because that stuff's important you know yeah. it's yeah. it really is even if it's only important to geeks like us but it, you don't want it lost you know and, and once it's gone it's gone you know we're we're of an age now we've been doing this a while um you know i'm i'm older than you um you know i'm going to be 60 in a couple of years um but it's important this stuff doesn't get lost and it's yep. that's why the work that you're doing on this is so really really important i don't think our age has anything to do with it but uh, <laughs> you need you do need to to be of a certain age to realize that it's important i think yeah i think that's true i, I do think that's true i think we realize that things have a value um the thing for me is i've I've still got every demo tape I was ever sent unless I've done like sent them to or sent them back to people. Um, because I thought at a very right at the beginning when I had to cull my CD collection back in the days when everything was physical and I just didn't have enough room. I never got rid of a single demo tape because I actually thought back then one day some of these might be important. So I've still got them all. Yeah. And just because it was released on cassette, doesn't mean that it, the musical value is any less than if it's been released on Bandcamp or whatever. It's just that was the medium of the time, you know, yeah. and in some yeah. ways better because back then bands had to put their hands in their pocket and pay for pay for cassettes to be run off. Even if it, even if they were doing it themselves, they still had to buy a cassette to run it off onto. Whereas today, anybody can put anything onto Spotify um, or Bandcamp and with really no no sort of um quality control i think you know yeah. at least i'm not saying everything ever released on tape was good but at least when people are investing in money it tends to be of a certain of a certain type or quality i'm always glad to hear when when young bands release stuff even if it is on bandcamp that they admit that oh we've learned so much since the last one uh regarding production mixing whatever I've been talking to a, a young Swedish band, Kadavra. I just mentioned them. They do that. The uh, uh, especially the drummer is is very interested in the production side of things, and he admits that oh, I learned so much since the last one. This one's going to sound so much better, and and I like hearing that. I like I like it when people enjoy the music, play the music, are invested in in discovering more. And, and becoming better. Yeah, and it's and for me the thing that I like is I'm work I work with a lot of young bands now here because I've got I've got a rep in New Zealand. Um, I'm helping them with press releases. I'm talking to them about the things they need to be doing or have they thought of and all this sort of thing. And some of them are just like sponges. They just say, tell me, tell me, tell me because I don't know this. I need this. Help me, you know. And then those are the ones where you go, yeah, okay, I'll put myself out for you. You know, you yeah. want I, I'll. I can talk to you. I can help you with this. And they're the ones that you feel like you're giving something back because that's what this is all about. Is you know, it's music's given me so much. So this is me giving back to music, which is to me, it's a living, breathing entity, and we need to 
you need to nurture the roots and we're dealing with the roots you know otherwise otherwise it just dies and it all just becomes the same plastic non-entity um yeah but i mean there's so many kids out there now and i'm allowed to say kids because you know i'm old um but kids and they're producing great music you know and you go and watch them and you go this this is cool you know this i can see something this there's a band but um, you need to check them out on Spotify. They've only released two or three songs. They're called Cafe Fist Fight. Um, I'm going to see them again on Saturday. They are a quartet. It's a bassist and drummer who have played together for years, highly complex, throwing in lots of different rhythms. They have a singer who is called Chris, who is a not only a great singer with very good pitch, um, but he's also a very, very good acoustic guitarist. So he's playing an acoustic guitar. And then they have a seven-string shredder. And I don't know another band that sounds like them because it shouldn't work. Different rhythms, singer-songwriter in the middle, and a seven you know, a guy who throws in shred solos. It, it should not work. But they are incredibly tight. And they throw lots of breaks in their music. So it's like everybody stop on a point, half a beat, and move. You know, And they do it. like, And you're going... How are they doing that? Um, and so I'm, I'm going to see them again on um, Saturday, and I'm—they're one of the bands I'm trying to—I'm trying to push to. You've got to do this. We've got to get this. I'll help you with this. I can do this. Have you thought of? I need you to do this. You know, and all this sort of thing, because they're so—they're great. Unless they get the right pushes, they're going to end up like so many of the other bands. Because all these guys have got day jobs. None of them ever think they're going to make music as a career. And I'm going well. You never know. You could do. Um, uh, do you know Alien Weaponry? Have you come across Alien Weaponry? Nope. Making more notes. Alien Weaponry are the, currently the biggest metal band to come out of New Zealand. They are. I liken them to Sepultura in some ways. It's a groove metal, but they use Toreo Maori. So they sing about half of the lyrics are in English, half of them are in Toreo. And um, it gives the music a very specific feel. And they've got some great videos out, like Kai Tangata is a superb video uh, on YouTube. Um, their second album comes out next month called Tangaroa. Their first album went to number one in New Zealand. Um, they literally are playing one show at the end of September in Auckland, and then they're touring America until Christmas as a support. And then they're going to Europe and touring Europe for the next two months over there. Um, they're playing big festivals and I'm going, this is, they are literally 21, 19 and 19, I think in age, they played, they played Wacken when the, when the drummer was 18 and his brother, I think the guitarist was 16. They played Wacken at that age. (laughs) They're signed to Napalm, um, in Europe and Mm -hmm. they've had number one album over here and they've got huge support and they are a really good band. And I'm going, well, if they can do it at that age. Sky's the limit, you know. Yeah. Your dog. What type of dog you got, Jerry? Oh, so cool. Oh yeah. That's my wife paying attention to uh, <laughs> the dog who has been sick. Uh, oh really? <laughs> this night. Oh poor thing. It's a Labradoodle. Yeah, we have we have six. Six dogs. Six uh, dogs. Wow. What do you do when they are sick? <laughs> do they ever I get have... sick? Uh, well, actually, I have to say we've got we've got a German Shepherd, we've got a Hunterway Cross, which is a New Zealand breed, another big dog. We've got a Labrador, 
we have a Maltese, a Shih Tzu, and a Bichon Mini Schnauzer. But the Maltese, um, yeah, he's had a lot of problems. He he had to have an eye removed recently, and oh. he was on loads and loads of steroids. And now he's got a massive skin infection because of the steroids, and so now he's on antibiotics, and, you know. They're an expensive hobby, dogs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's going uh, she's, mov- she's moving. Uh, she's eating. She's moving. Well, they're family, aren't they? That's, uh... Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. How old is she? Uh, six in December. She'll be six. Yeah. Well, still, still got quite a long way to go yet, then. Uh, yeah. We, uh, our uh, previous dog, uh, full-size poodle, we had to leave her behind. Uh, oh, she just really? turned four, 14. 14 we're, for a standard poodle. Grief. Yeah. We're, in, we're in good contact with the current owners. and uh, uh, They're lovely people. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the poodle and now this Labradoodle are my wife's assistant dogs. And because of the new one, it was way too hard to have them both. I would have loved to, 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 uh, to have them both here, but uh, that didn't work out, unfortunately. But we found a very good home for, for the other one. Yeah, when we when we came to New Zealand, we brought um, we brought both our German. We had two German shepherds at the time. We brought them both with us. Yeah, because it just can't imagine life without them. I I worked out to to bring the two German shepherds and a cat because we had one cat that was my youngest daughter's cat, and it had liver problems, so we had to bring it because no one would be able to look after it. We reckoned it. Uh, I calculated it cost us 20,000 New Zealand dollars to bring two dogs and a cat over. It costs more than shipping my whole house. <laughs> and still, you don't think about it for a second. You just do it. No, no, you just got to do it. They're family. They're, yeah. You've got to do yeah. it. They're part of you, you know. Yeah, my, unfortunately, I'm, both those dogs are long gone now. But um, I still met uh, the, big, the, the male. Uh, there was a male German Shepherd called Merlin who weighed between 40 and 45 kilos, depending on on where he was. But he's a... It was a long coat. And I still miss him every day. You know, yep. the shepherd that we've got now is mine, Shiloh, but it's that's not the same as Merlin. You know, you know different children. And speaking of children, uh, guys, this has been absolutely wonderful. Kev, it's way past your bedtime. So, and Jerry, I know you've got a dog to nurse, but that's what's been fabulous about this last part of the program it's been great to hear about your dogs because it's a true passion for mine i absolutely love the dog rescue programs those are my favorite charities so i'm so glad that you brought that up and uh uh, fantastic guys Uh, that's a bit of a ding now it's almost like it's time to go isn't it so guys what have you got to say to one another on saying goodbye (laughs) all right mate you take care yeah yeah you too been good talking to you and uh We'll do this again. Yeah, we will. You look after okay. yourself, Jerry. Cheers, mate. Yes, you too. Cheers. Oh, that's great. Bye. Bye. And all you guys and dolls out there, I really do hope you've enjoyed listening. Um, you know, it's been a bit more of a twosome than a threesome, really, hasn't it? And uh, But I did say, like I said at the beginning, I want to let these guys go and get these great minds together and let them talk about what they want to talk about. And uh, I've certainly put my feet up and thoroughly loved it. And I hope you found the same as well. So it's the same old drill, guys. You know, if you're still driving and listening, do be careful out amongst those English and those Aussies. And, uh, well, it's more the Aussies really, isn't it? But anyway, do be careful. Don't forget, take care of one another, love one another. And uh, I think Kevin Jerry's plotting something. But anyway, on that note, let's leave it there because really it is over and out from Tracy's Prog World.
what we ought to do is we ought to have you, me, Olav, and Henri or someone and just you know get all the old guys together and um Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, talk about what idea. we've done. We ought to try that. All yeah. right, I'll I'll tee Olav up and we'll just then we'll just send Tracy a tape because you'll only be able to do 40 minutes anyway. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll let her do do editing. That's right. She can do all the work. <laughs> oh, we'll see, guys. Oh, plotters.